Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. This week, we're very happy to welcome Lindsay Adler. Lindsay is a photographer, author, educator, fashion photographer, and we're talking to you particularly about a book that you've published with Rocky Nook called The Photographer's Guide to Posing, Techniques to Flatter Everyone. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We were having a nice pre-show chat about the house in New Jersey that you are currently in where George Washington slept. Um, <laughs> good, good old-fashioned Americana. So posing photography. Now, I'm, I don't take portraits. I'm really – I'm the guy who can't go up to someone and say, excuse me, can I take your picture? Unless it's friends or families and all that. But when I do – how do you ask someone to pose? I've always felt, okay, we'll just stand there and you kind of wait and the person's looking around and they don't know what to do and you don't know what to do. And your book is more than 400 pages of all these tips to tell people what to do. It's funny because 400 pages makes it sound like it's complicated and posing is both easy and difficult. I think anybody that is any sort of photographer knows that when you're in the moment, posing is terrifying right? Like when someone's standing in front of you and then they're expecting you to make them look good. It's like, now what? And everybody's different. Everybody has uh, different uh, body types or they have a different side of the face they like better. And so there's all of these different things you need to consider. So really the bulk of my book, like the, the beginning part is the meat that you have to get the foundations of. And once you have the foundations, everything is just built upon it and it's not so scary. And so I used to think, especially since there were a lot of people that would teach this, this method that you would have to kind of just memorize a bunch of different poses. Um, and you know, I remember back in the day, they were posing decks where there would be, you know, like 250 poses and my brain doesn't work like that, especially in the moment. It's not like, Oh yes, I recall, you know, pose number 111. Like it's totally (laughs) not how my brain works. So in the beginning of the book, um, and really how I approach posing in general is, the fact that a big part of flattering your subject or, or, you know, making the subject look good to your camera is that part of to your camera, because you might be looking at somebody and they look totally fine. But as soon as you choose a certain camera angle, a certain body position, a certain lens choice, things start looking really different. So the first tip that I give people is that perspective is important. Um, It's not just put them in a certain body position and boom, that's a good pose. Like it doesn't work like that. So the easy way to the easiest saying or the easiest thing to remember is that whatever is closest to the camera looks largest or larger and whatever's further from the camera looks smaller. So if you want to emphasize a certain part of the body, like the eyes and the face, you can bring that closer to the camera or you can elevate your camera so that it is closer to the eyes and face. Um, But the the reason I'm saying this is that's for portraits, but in the book, there's a section on boudoir. So now let's switch it up and say you have a girl in lingerie and you'd like to emphasize the size of her butt. Well, then that would be totally different with the position of the body and the camera angle and all of that. So that's why I think- And also the focal length of the lens you choose, a wider angle is going to make things in the front look even bigger. Exactly. So so if someone is concerned that they have a big nose, you'll want to use a longer focal length and get further away to make the nose look smaller. 
Yeah. And so I actually, I have a class um, that I've, I've done before called uh, photographing or flattering challenging features. And it's not to say, you know, obviously that, you know, for example, I've, I've photographed models with re really pronounced noses and it makes them interesting. But I'm talking about for like the average portrait client who's like, don't make my nose look big. You know, those ones, right? Like they're like, don't do yeah. it. Um, and there's a bunch of different things because it is exactly what you said. It's lens choice, but it's also going to be your lighting. Um, so like if you've got a rim light lighting the side of their jawline, but then it happens to hit the side of the nose for the position, then it's just a giant arrow saying, look here. Or <laughs> if they turn their head to the side and the nose actually breaks the line of the cheek. So it, it just sticks out over the side. Same thing. It's like, you're, you're noticing that contrast. So yeah, like certain things of posing like, yeah, there's certain fundamentals and foundations that is, are going to improve a portrait for anyone. But that's also just a part of the equation because it is lighting and it is lens choice and it is posing and it like it's everything. Yeah. And it's improvisation and it's the rapport that you have mm -hmm. with the subject and it's the time you have. Um, it's your frustration, their frustration. Obviously, when you're doing this in a professional atmosphere, you have them the time you need and they're there to do a job and you're there to do a job. Mm -hmm. Most of our listeners are going to be interested in this because they're going to be taking portraits of friends and family mm -hmm. where they don't have the time. So sure. you've got the brother-in-law and you want to take some portraits and he's getting bored because he wants another beer or he wants to go watch the football. Mm -hmm. And you've got to figure out a way to get something before your subject's no longer interested, right? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, what that comes down to is practicing beforehand with someone who's willing to be there. And I don't, I don't care who it is. It could be, you know, your friend's daughter who wants pictures for social media, like so somebody that actually wants to be there and practice makes perfect. And so, you know, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't good at posing in the beginning or honestly for the first 10 years I shot, like it took me a while to, to sort it out. Um, but I think one of the things that has nothing to do with posing, but everything to do with, like you said, the rapport and how you interact with people is your confidence. So how I always approach a shoot is, and, and by the way, you know, I'm a fashion photographer, but I get hired to shoot portraits all the time. Um, sometimes they're of celebrities, which is cool, but, um, I'll, I'll put it this way. I get hired to, to make fashion styled portraiture of people that have a budget to afford me. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I photographed a family, uh, last week that they're, they're, were from, um, Dubai and they had flown in because their daughter was going to school. And so I was photographing two parents and three children of all different ages. And then sometimes I'm photographing a guy for, um, personal branding. So my point of where I was going with this is when I do a portrait, I go in knowing what we're trying to achieve. Like, am I just trying to get one shot that looks good for a headshot or am I creating a wide range of different portraits that you can use for your brand and what they need to communicate? Or like, am I just trying to take a picture because you know what, your mom's complaining that there's no good pictures of you, right? right. So like, what are we going <laughs> in trying to achieve? Um, and then it's the confidence that I exude. So I always will say to someone, okay, so here's what we're going to do. It's not a like, okay, will you take a seat? Like, it's not, it's like that. It's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you take a seat. And what I'm going to start off with is really quickly, I'm going to try two or three different lighting setups. Like it'll just be real fast. Let's say we shoot for about mm, four or five minutes. Then I'm going to have you take a look and whatever's the vibe that we're going for, then we'll pop you back in. I'll shoot for you for another three, four minutes with a bunch of different poses and boom, you're done. So you give somebody like an, 
a time frame or a set of goals that they're going to achieve so that they're not sitting there going, well, how long is this going to take? And so if I communicated, it's going to be 10 minutes, it's going to be 15 and, and whatever it is. Um, and so, yeah, like they're definitely the people that don't want to be there, but you know, you, you give them a, a time frame and say, I just need you to be a team player for these 15 minutes. So in situations like that, I'm curious, you said that you, you have an idea going into it. Do you also have an idea of what sort of posing will be involved? If you go in cold, can you look at somebody and say, okay, I think this range of pose will really work for this person because of his or her body shape or um, attitude or, or whatever? Or is that a matter of having the experience to know this person will look really good from the side and it's a guy and we want to make sure that he has like a good jawline, et cetera? Versus, I'm not really sure what I'm getting in, in for here. Let's just work through it and see. Sure. Um, okay. So I like to break things down into numbers. And so I'm going to kind of give you two categories of things I'm considering. So okay. first of all, I'll say for any subject matter that I go in photographing, whether it is a man, a woman, it's boudoir, it's couples, it's someone who's curvier. Um, I go in with five go-to poses that look good on most people. So I said, I don't want to remember 250. That's right. true, but I can do five. And if I take those five and from those five different poses that work with most people that look kind of like this person from there, I can vary my crop. I can vary my expression. I can vary maybe just the placement of the hand. And all of a sudden five poses looks more like 25 and how many images do somebody need? Like they don't need 25 images most of the time, unless of course you're doing, you know, wedding photography or something like that. Sure. Um, so first and foremost for each subject matter, just come in prepped with like five things you're comfortable with. Maybe you're researching online, just five things beforehand, you know, whatever it may be. And then it's not as scary because it's just like, let me just get these five things. And then I at least have something solid. Um, the other thing I'm thinking of is if I, you know, go in blind to a situation, okay, there's these five things, I only need to remember those five. Mm -hmm. And then there's like five other things that I consider that's not necessarily about making a good pose. It's about not making a bad pose. So okay. uh, for example, uh, one of the things is going to be something called foreshortening. And so foreshortening, um, it's also used in terms for painting and, and you know, other art forms. So basically it's anytime something is coming directly to or away from your camera, it looks cut off. So mm -hmm. if I raise my elbow up towards the camera, it looks like I have a nub rather than a full arm. Um, so, you know, I might be positioning, maybe it's, you know, the guy that I've never photographed before. And I position him and the way he sits down, his knees are facing towards camera. And now it just looks like he has, you know, no thighs. And right. so maybe- And huge knees. Yeah, and huge <laughs> knees. So maybe it's like a turn to the right and it fixed out. I go, okay, cool. So I, I fixed that little thing. And then another one of them, I won't go through them, but another one is negative space. So basically when I look at this person, do they just look like a blob? Like, like you know, in the shapes of their body. And right. there's a lot of different ways you can visually fix negative space or really the flow. Maybe it's um, going to be space between their arms and the side of the body, which with a guy, maybe it's turning them to the side, they're popping one arm out and then they're leaning forward. And so now there's just a little space between the side of their body uh, and in their arm. Um, but it could also be if somebody is really actually round, maybe it's the cut of their shirt or their jacket where they place their hands and at least break it up. So it's not just one big massive person. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I actually literally have on my screen right now, 
a portrait session that I did of a guy um, last week, a stylist. He's a, he's a bigger dude. And I have his legs turned to the side, one hand on his thigh. So one elbow is up with some negative space. And the other hand, I just have him cross across his body and hold onto his jacket. So what it does is it breaks up the, uh, you know, the consistency of the middle of his body. So it doesn't draw your attention there. And it kind of gives visually uh, flow for your eye to follow. Mm-hmm. So it's more that it's that I am considering five poses. I know that work with a certain subject matter and then things that I don't want to mess up how they look. I call them posing pitfalls, like things that mess up shots. So right. if I can kind of just balance those two, you can get a flattering picture of anybody. Do you always know what people look like before you photograph them? I do um, require that for the way that I shoot. Um, so my, let's go to like my portrait side. So my portrait side, um, when you hire me to shoot, I then actually, I require the, the subjects to do a little bit of work. They're not allowed to just show up to make a portrait because if they're paying as much money as they are and expecting a certain quality, I cannot do that if you just show up. Mm-hmm. So they have to send a picture of what they look like. And I usually say, can you send one that's just a selfie, you know, no hair and makeup, whether it's a guy or girl, regardless, you know, send, send a selfie. And then can yeah. you send a photo that you like best of yourself? Because already it's telling me kind of the vibe of the angle of their face that they like, the expression that they like, the way their hair and makeup is done. So I'm already giving myself several steps ahead. It doesn't mean I can't do better than that, but like, okay, I can see they probably like that side of the face and all right, they like their stern look or whatever. So as a portrait photographer, you're doing this for clients. It's not like I'm thinking of the Yusuf Kosh photos of Churchill, where he got the one stern and the one with the smile. Yeah. He's, he's trying to catch something. You are trying to get the photo that the client wants, right? Yeah, most of the time that's that's exactly right. So I photographed a guy for kind of an album cover shot last week. And I did the same thing. I said, send me photos of yourself you like. And then I had him try some different things. So I said, okay, now let's just try for your brow. Now look surprised over there. Now just kind of uh, pinch your eyebrows in towards the center. Now I want you to give me a half smile over your shoulder. Like once we've got the shot, I'll throw in some variation because maybe it'll be a more interesting photo. I'd say most of the time, if they, they're picking like five photos, four of them will be the standard ones. And then they might throw in one just because like, oh, it's cool. It's a little different. Yeah. Uh, but yes, my goal is to make them happy with how they look and how they're representing themselves to the world. So when you're finished, let's say you've got, I don't know, you're going to maybe shoot hundreds of photos, mm-hmm. um, but let's say you've got 25 keepers. Mm-hmm. Do you let the client choose? Does the client ask you which ones you think are best? What's what's the give and take on that? Or does it depend on the subject? Yeah. Usually what I do is I put together their proofs of, you're right, let's say 10% of the images. So whatever I took, about 10% is what then I would then present to them to look at. Ones that I think are strong, I like the expressions of, everything was kind of coming together. And then usually I will put in there my notes of, by the way, my personal favorites are these five or six, whatever it may be. Um, and so some clients do not care what I have to say and pick the ones where they like themselves. Um, sometimes what they'll do is they will say, okay, these are my 10 favorites, uh, but I only can afford seven or whatever. You know, I'm mm-hmm. only looking to get seven is probably how they would word it. Um, and then I help them say, okay, I'd actually drop these three, for example. Yeah. And are you doing that while you're there with them? Or is this after you've done some processing? First of all, I'm always shooting tethered. 
like 100% of the time. And so when the images are coming in, I already apply a bit of a color grade, a bit of contrast, like, you know, whatever it may be. So they're, they're visualizing kind of the direction I'm going to go. Um, but all of it usually is done after the fact. Um, and I know, you know, especially for portrait photographers, they, they teach in-person sales as an important element of, you know, dealing with portrait clients. My, my subjects, often are flying in from someplace else in the world. It tends to be not, I'm not saying hundred percent of the time, but let's say like 60% of the time people are coming to New York and while they're on their trip, they hire me for a portrait session. Like gotcha. that's kind of how they, or it may be a business trip. It might be vacation or it's a special trip for the, the girl's graduation. And so they fly her up to New York and it's that kind of stuff. So yeah, right. it's done after the fact online. So what percentage of these portraits you shoot are fun for the client and what percent are serious like as you say branding or you know someone has to have a portrait because they've just been made vice president of a company or whatever i would say 75 percent is fun (laughs) it's really nice that's a lot more interesting isn't it yeah i mean what they what we usually do is remember i said i I make them do work well i also have them fill out a questionnaire so in their questionnaire they need to tell me what is the purpose of these images is it that they got made the president of a company or is it that you just want uh, a family portrait to hang on your wall? Or is it that uh, you're graduating college and you want, or you're graduating high school and you want a special experience, something like that. And so from there, what I usually do is we develop three concepts. And, and I'm not talking about like, you know, heavily conceptual images where I'm, you know, compositing something in, like nothing like that. But right, it would right. be, we want one that is um, a flattering, warm-toned headshot kind of thing. And maybe the second one, she wants something that feels a little more old Hollywood. And the third one, we want to play with bright colors. And so we'll kind of go and, you know, prepare to have these three concepts. The other 25%, you know, something like that is like next week, I have a lawyer um, who's having me uh, photograph her. And, you know, her her, um, firm had hired a photographer and she didn't like the photos they took. And so she wants some for that. And then some for her own personal branding that she's sending out to clients, you know, whether it's holiday cards or whether it's, you know, reminders of things, she wants to have a good visual presence. So definitely Tinder profiles. Yes, that as well. (laughs) So I did not ask her, did I ask her? I don't know. I don't remember if she said she was single or not. I think it did come up in the conversation because I think I threw in there. And by the way, if you want to do some more casual, like at the end, you know, throw some wind in your hair, I got you. I'm thinking about a friend that I had back in the days when I lived in New York. My friend Jay, best friend, roommate. And whenever someone went to take a picture of him, he had this huge toothsome smile uh-huh. like Mr. Ed. And he just could he, – he would say, I just don't know how to smile. Yeah. How can people as subjects learn to smile? Because it seems to me that smiles aren't the best kind of portraits. It's that sort of half smile, that sort of quizzical expression that works best, right? Yeah. I mean um, it does depend on the person because some people – their smile is just glowing and it's wonderful right away. And you'll, you'll kind of yeah. know those people from the start. Um, I don't really expect them to know how to do that, but I have prompts that I give people. So a, but so many people are going to try and do it because they think that they're supposed to pose in a certain way, yeah, right? Totally. Well, it's so all let them do it. That's another thing too. So I'm, I'm shooting digital. I'll let people do their dumb faces, yeah. their bad faces, their <laughs> smiles. And then it's just, that's not what I'm presenting to them in the end. Um, but like some of the prompts I'll give people is if somebody's smiling too toothy or way too fake, I'll say, um, okay, can you do me a favor? Okay. So what we're going to try now 
is I'm going to have you say hi. We're going to try different versions of hi. So let's do hi like it's somebody walking in the door. Hi. Or let's do hi that's meant to be a little sexy. Hi. <laughs> you know, and so we'll try those difference and it changes the shape of their mouth kind of up and down. Um, yeah. And I will also try serious faces where one of the common things people will do is say vowels. So say you. And that's uh-huh. you're getting at the end of that. Or, oh, and it's you know, that kind of thing. And you're shooting in burst mode, right? Uh, not burst mode, but, you know, I'll, I'll shoot at several frames as they're going through that smile, three, four, yeah. something like that. So one thing listeners can't see as we're we're doing a, a video chat is every time you've said one of those things, you've done the pose or the move w- with your head and your shoulders. And I imagine that comes up a lot, too. You mentioned it in your book, mirroring what you want them to do. Yeah. Is that something that works naturally? Do people just pick up on that? Or are there times when you have to be like, okay, I would like you to stand just like I am? Mm-hmm. It's both. It's for sure okay. both because everybody's different. Um, I definitely really, I act a lot in it because I'm trying mm-hmm. to say, okay, so now this one. And so you'll hear I modulate my voice because I'm trying to put them in the, okay, this one, you're trying to go sensual. And this one, I want you to give me a big smile, but actually laugh. And, <laughs> and like, I'll, you know, try to whatever, right. you know, prompt them. Um, but I've gotten, and this is a practice thing, but you, you've got to be able to do it. I've gotten real good for some people that need me to micro pose them. And so what I will do is I'll say, okay, now take your left shoulder. Great. And I'm going to pull your shoulder back. Perfect. But lower it just a little bit. And what happens is when you pose people like that, they often get all tense. Right. Okay, right. So what I'll say is, okay, remember this body position, right? Okay. Shake it out. And then once you get back into it. And so like they know roughly where they should be. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting them to feel how their body should be and then just melt so that they don't look all freaked out. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I'm kind of getting the impression, listening to you talk, on the one hand, you've got the technical aspects of lighting, backgrounds, camera, pushing the shutter. But it seems like most of what you're doing is performing and getting people to react to your performance. Well, there are so many portrait photographers that have one lighting setup, kind of their one background, and that's it but they, they look like really good portrait photographers because you're not looking for necessarily someone's range. You're looking for what you're capturing in front of the camera, how comfortable your subjects felt, like how genuine the expressions are, what kind of connection between the subject and camera. And that's a hundred percent, you know, how you relate to somebody and your performance. So I think it, it kind of, kind of goes more with what you're trying to achieve out of the portraits. Um, but yeah, no, I, but is I that agree. what makes a difference between an average portrait photographer and a good portrait photographer? The one who is the performer can elicit more from the subject. Well, I also know, okay. So there's obviously the famous Avedon story. So the famous Avedon story and he's photographing yeah. the Duke and Duchess, uh, Duke and Duchess of York. Right. Um, I think so. And our uh, last guest actually said the same story, but go ahead. You know, oh. so, <laughs> uh, no, so without going into it, but basically he was acting and performing to get a bad expression out of them. Um, exactly. And so the reason I'm, I'm saying this too, is you say, you know, what makes a great portrait photographer style comes into that because he wasn't trying to flatter people. And so then that's a totally di- different direction. It's more editorial. Um, and he wants the image to say something deeper and then there's also, it's completely relevant to be a portrait photographer who just wants to flatter people and, and help them look them like the best versions of themselves. So there's also that consideration. I think we hold up historically a lot of portrait photographers 
that flattering wasn't the goal. It was creating an image with layers that you could dig deeper and peel into and stare into that portrait. So sometimes there are portrait photographers who would let the awkward silence be there. Um, I I believe it was as uh, the Andy Warhol, um, when he would have, he would kind of leave up his video camera and record. And I think they're eight minute reels or something like that, whatever they were back in the day. And he would have the portrait subject sit there and he wouldn't say a word. And the whole point would be to see how they would crack sitting there for eight minutes, not knowing what to do. Um, and so like, you know, one of the famous ones is Dolly, like Dolly's like twitching and like, cause he was trying to be real intense. Um, and so that's a different type of performance altogether. It's just yeah. not anything that I would ever do, but it, yeah. you know, these are some of the most famous artists of all time and they took yeah. totally different approaches. So I've mentioned this story probably five times on the podcast, but a few years ago, um, I had my portrait shot by Martin Parr. Cool. He has a foundation in Bristol about an hour and a half from here. So every year he does a portrait shoot to fund the foundation. I thought, wow, that would be so awesome. great to get a portrait by Martin Parr. So my partner and I went. But he doesn't flatter people, so you had to go. No, he doesn't. This. Not at all. <laughs> okay. No, no. And for about 20 minutes, he's telling us, do this, move this way, move that way. And he got us to relax to the point of spontaneity, which was really interesting. And also at the end, my partner and I had chosen a couple photos and I asked him, which one would you choose? Mm. Because that's why I asked you earlier. And he picked Mm. one that we hadn't thought of, but which really did say more than the ones that for us were like what we wanted rather than what he saw as more interesting. And I mean, it's really quite something to have a Martin Parr portrait. Totally. That that has the expression that I would never have selected myself. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, too. Um, you know, a, a good example is when I, when I first moved to New York, I shot a fashion editorial and I picked out the images. And at the time I had an agent and I said, the agent said, let me let me see what you shot. And when they went through, they picked totally different photos. Not one of ours overlapped from what I picked. And oh, so, you know. In in cinema, you know, there's a famous saying that the film is made twice, once when it's shot, once when it's edited. And I think part of yeah. that is true with portraiture, like in the selection of, of your images as well. Um, but yeah, like Martin, Martin Parr, of course, you're going to lean more towards something that's going to flatter you. But of course, he's going to pick something that's quirky or interesting yeah, or a bit quirky, strange. absurd. Yeah. 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 I felt um, I, I spoke at the photography show uh, in Birmingham a couple years ago and me like Martin Parr and myself were both like some of the, the keynote speakers. And I thought that, Hey, listen, if I'm a keynote speaker and he's one, I've, I've made it in life. <laughs> he He's quite a guy. He's funny. He's personable. Um, he's, he's, he, he's like, he's almost on speed. He never stops. Yeah. He's always doing things. <laughs> um, and you know, when you know the history about him being a Magnum photographer, which yep. a lot of people voted against him and it is a quirky style. Anyone who doesn't know his stuff, look him up because he's got some of these weird photos. It's like you look at street photography and you think of the classic black and white street photography. Then Martin Parr is these bright, vivid colors of people eating ice cream or lying on the beach and things it's that like you'd never expect. Beautifully garish. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Beautifully garish. It's a good point. Yeah. Speaking of beautifully garish, let's talk about some of your work that's on your website. Um, it, it's so different from the staid, posed photos uh, in your book. And of course, they are posed. Mm-hmm. But 
there's an awful lot of edgy lighting and coloring. And so these are fashion photos. These are commissions, I assume, for fashion magazines. It totally depends on the shot. I've got a little bit of everything up there. I have everything from uh, commercial work that was for, um, you know, commercial clients, whether it's a diamond campaign or a skincare campaign. I have things for fashion magazines. And I also have personal work, things that I created for myself because I enjoyed it. And so um, I think a majority of what you see there are images that I created because I enjoyed it. And then it is infused with work that says, oh, hey, by the way, probably what you need for your business, I can do as well. Yeah. So this is sort of, this is your book to say, this is the range of things I can do. Yeah. So it's, so kind of to take this a different direction though, is so this year, uh, my business was more successful, busier than it's ever been, which is wonderful. And I think part of that was held up from people not being able to hire photographers for a year or a year and a half. And so there was a lot of built up demand. Um, But at the same time, I hired somebody who's like a picture editor agent to look at my book. And I'm actually going to be re-editing it um, with a new version that'll come out around the end of of October, probably end of September, beginning of October. to be a little bit more pointed and tighter because right now it has a lot of work and it really shows my range, but also I have that on my Instagram feed. So if you want to be able to see everything that I do, you can go there and I post, I post five days a week. Um, so my point is what you see on my website will change soon to be tighter, more curated, a little bit more to the point. Um, but still reflective of who I am as an artist. Do you get a lot of individuals who see these edgier photos who want portraits like that as opposed to a standard portrait? Yeah, I think usually people want one edgy photo, like one thing where they they try something different. Um, yeah. and usually I give that to them whether they want it or not. I'll throw it in as an extra because sometimes people don't know what they didn't know they wanted. <laughs> I'm thinking more the colored lighting or mm-hmm. the, the strange makeup and things like that. Yeah, sort of like the family portrait that I just did. We did super standard. Um, I did like on a pecan background with they're in kind of cream colored clothing. And then I used a large scrim and it's kind of bright and, and warm tone. We did that for them. And then I put them, uh, did some that were window lit that were on a canvas background. And then, you know, I shot the family in a variety of these, these different ways. And then at the end, I said to each of the three daughters, I said, okay, so this last shot is for you, whatever you want. And so they would go over, you know, it's a little girl and she wanted makeup done, you know, and like whatever, and, you know, obviously if the parents approve, but um, yeah. everybody got a different look and then I'd say, okay, now why did you pick this and what are you trying to do with it? And so the one girl we shot to look kind of like a, uh, an edgy moody album cover, you know? And so the point was I had already gotten the standard photos for the parents and like the kind of headshotty ones. And then I wanted it to be memorable for the kids. And like, they were thrilled. My point of this was the, the one youngest daughter. Um, we put, uh, a little bit of sparkly eye makeup on her so she could feel like she had makeup. And then I threw some gels and I said, what's your favorite color? And she's like purple. And so, you know, so it was more about the experience in that case and really the final image. So I, I also throw those kind of things in. One of the things I'm curious about is posing, quote unquote, regular people and posing models, because I've seen videos of some, you know, uh, model shoots where the models, like they're already moving. They know angles and, and, and moving around there. Like is like how much posing is involved when you're shooting your high fashion stuff? 
versus a normal person? Or again, does it depend on the model? It so heavily depends on the model. I cannot even tell you. Ah, I regularly, like I had a model last week, which I did a shoot last week where I had two models on the same day. One model was brilliant because of the type of model she was. I wasn't going to get like strong, structural, edgy stuff, but everything Mm -hmm. was conceptually also very painterly. And so it was soft hands and beautiful variations in her position of her head. And then the other model, I could not imagine someone was more stiff and robotic and horrendous. And they're from the same agency. (laughs) And like it, it, she was horrible. And I got one photo that I was kind of happy-ish with. I hope these models don't listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It was me. I'm sorry. It was me. Yeah. So you're horrible. No. The, um, <laughs> the other the other part of this is that some models that are excellent, let's go with the ones that are excellent. Mm-hmm. It's more about communicating what you're looking for and then making subtle tweaks than telling them how to pose. Okay. So in this one, I want it to be really, really soft. And I want you to put your hands up. So kind of just above your sternum, like just kind of in front of your chest. And I want everything to be as if you were inspired by a Renaissance painting and give me subtle movements in the head. And then that's it. And then I'm just shooting a bunch. Okay, wait, now turn to your left a little. Okay, perfect. And then I shoot a bunch. Yeah. Or it might be, okay, in this one, I want everything to be big, big structural. I want you to be stepping so you're giving me energy. Uh, and step with the leg closest to the camera and then go. And then, okay, well, yeah, no, I love that last one. Uh, but just uh, turn your pinky towards me this time. Okay, cool. <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. How, how long does it usually take in a fashion shoot? Um, do you have an hour, two hours more? Um, I mean, if I do a shoot for a magazine, usually it's a minimum of six looks, but usually it's probably more like 10, maybe 12. Uh, and that's a eight, nine hour day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's full days. Okay. Lindsay, this has been fascinating. Um, this is really a, a, a look into a world that we don't know. And I'm just thinking of my partner's grandchildren. Whenever someone picks up a camera, the youngest one, about 20 months old, goes, cheese, because she's already been trained to do that. And we have a whole generation of people now who are trained to take selfies and have their pictures taken all over the place and do those funny hand things in pictures. I've never figured out why people do that. Um, and so posing for people like this, posing like this for people is so different than what they're doing when they have pictures taken of them all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, um, it's, it's amazing too, though, you know, even the family example that I was giving is that this, so especially, I would say, especially people like 20, 20 years old and younger already know a lot of their own angles and they already know a lot yeah. of the body positions they like because they're passing their phone off to their friend to take a picture on location. Now that doesn't mean that I'm just going to go with what they like, you know, obviously we we create variation, but it's amazing. Like it's mind blowing to see how aware of the camera they are and understanding how the camera sees more than I think anybody, you know, in in, my age and older, like Like Jeff and I who were very old. I I didn't say that, but (laughs) who grew up before (laughs) digital. Yeah. So they already have that vocabulary. Yeah, yes. it's amazing. It's it's also kind of bizarre too, because you're like, I mean, especially when they, it definitely happens when they kind of quote unquote outsmart you. Like they they sit down and you give them direction and then they do it better and you're like, oh wow, okay, <laughs> right, nice. Yeah, it totally it happens all the time. Do you find that that, that sometimes you're working against that? Like, oh, for like sure. you want them to do something and they just kind of do the same thing because they know this works. Well, it'll be it's usually somebody who's it's more they're keeping a certain face. 
that they think mm. that they like. It's more that. And so they're just constantly mugging for the camera and it's trying to get something different from those people, especially if, uh, it's not conveying what the whole mood of the photo was and the whole time. They're just kind of giving me duck lip serious. And you're like, that's, that's, this is meant, this is a, <laughs> you're wearing a pink dress and it's a white background. This doesn't work. Right. Uh, but more often than not, in my shoots, I don't hide what I shot. I absolutely will show them images. So we'll shoot a bit and then I'll say, well, take a look at these. And I'll say, oh man, these ones where you kind of relax, like I really like those. Why don't you take a look and let me know what you think? And then they start to trust me more because they realize their forced face was fine, but we got others when they kind of relax. So I involve people in the process. I don't, I don't try to hide anything because I want to educate them along the way that, you know, that they should trust me or maybe they communicate. Maybe there's something I was missing and they go, oh, actually, I don't I don't like my face from this angle. All right, I'd rather you just tell me than me shoot that angle over and over again. Let's, let's get good photos only. Okay, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. The book is The Photographer's Guide to Posing Techniques to Flatter Everyone. We will have links to your website, to your Instagram. And I believe we have a couple of copies of the book to give away to members of our mailing list. So if you're not a subscriber, go to photoactive.co. A reminder, we couldn't afford the M and sign up to the mailing list. Lindsay, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, Jeff, time for our snapshots. What have you got this week? Well, I got something really exciting today. It is a power (laughs) strip. I I laugh, (laughs) but believe me, sometimes things like that are really important. You know, I've had a collection of old style power strips for I don't know, ages. And at one point I needed to buy a new one. And it's one of those things where I never really thought about maybe technology would be advancing. And so I got this, it's this anchor power strip surge protector. It's got 12 outlets, but it also has three USB ports and it's only $25. But these 12 outlets are at different angles. So I never have a problem with power bricks making one or two of the outlets getting covered up. And I have significant joy over this product. (laughs) (laughs) And all it is, is a power strip. It's like designed well, and I can plug things in and it's easy to reach. It's great. $25 anchor power strip surge protector. What do you have this week? I have a new camera bag. I shall hold it up for you. Um, Camera bags are things that tend to multiply, aren't they? We all have lots of camera bags. Um, Oh, yes. I got a new camera, which we'll talk about in another episode. And my my day bag when I would go out has long been a knapsack, sling over one shoulder, um, lots Mm -hmm. of room. And I kind of was getting tired of it because it's not – it has no compartments, so I can't put a camera in and protect it. Right. So I got this Peak Design Everyday Sling. I got the six-liter bag. Ah. And there's enough room for me to stick a camera, a small water bottle, and a few other things. Now, a few other things are like I have I have to carry an asthma inhaler with me and, you know, a couple of meds and things like that. Or, sure. you know, maybe a filter or some batteries or power pack cable, batteries, whatever. There's yeah. just enough room. It's not too big. It's light. I can throw it over my shoulder. And whenever I go out and I want to take my camera, the camera's safe. If I don't want the camera, there's more room for other things. Um, I had their everyday messenger bag, the first version, which I bought a few years ago. The problem was it was really heavy. Now, it's a much bigger one than this, and it's big enough for like two cameras and a zoom lens. And it was too heavy to use as an everyday bag. So I'm really happy with this. Not cheap. I think it costs 90 pounds. 
but Peak Design stuff is good quality. So it is the everyday sling. They come in three sizes, three, six, and 10 liters. I think it's fascinating that you brought this up because I have been eyeing that exact bag recently because there have been a couple times that I've gone out. I went hiking this weekend, and we went to the uh, Seattle Japanese Garden the, the previous weekend, and I realized I don't have anything where I can just throw in a camera and maybe an extra lens and some batteries. I have backpacks. I have bigger camera bags. I have messenger bags. I mean, good Lord, I have too many bags. Yes. But I don't have that. And uh, that sling sort of fits that that spot, that nice, yeah. perfect spot. I definitely that I want, recommend so. it. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. Excellent. Okay. All right. Out. Well, f- thank you. <laughs> <laughs>